Warning, the Catholic Man Show is about to begin. If you're looking for a dull, feel-good religion, or clap your hands, sit around the campfire kumbaya, you've come to the wrong place. We are dealing with toxic levels of authentic masculinity. I would say good luck, but luck is for pagans. Welcome to the Catholic Man Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. Adam Minahan here sitting in studio. This is a treat of an evening for us. David to my right. Juan on the buttons. Jim hanging out by the door, making sure no one's going to bust in. Checking on all of our audio levels. But we have a very special guest that we have been trying to have on for a while. And he has prudently decided to hold out as long as he possibly could but here he is this yeah. evening which shows you the wisdom <laughs> no it's good to be here dr malak thank you thanks, i appreciate thanks for that. hanging out with us this evening but try not to lie on the show <laughs> <laughs> no so okay so you are the the president of the alquin institute here in the diocese of tulsa mm-hmm. uh, you, you have uh, i i'm all about what the alquin institute is is um, doing in the diocese, why don't you give a, just a little bit of a rundown of because it's way different than what most dioceses. Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Most dioceses do not have an institute like the Alquin Institute. No, but we do. We are seeing um, a kind of an increase, I think, in kind of diocesan level institutes. You know, providing higher forms of um, education in regards to the faith throughout the country, which is a good sign. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but the Alquin Institute is is somewhat unique. Um, you know, we were charged principally to provide formation for Catholic leaders throughout the diocese. So working with our catechists, working with our Catholic school teachers, working with the principals, working with civic leaders throughout the diocese, um, just to provide that kind of intellectual, moral um, support as they um, engage in the ministry, mm-hmm. whatever that may be. We've talked about the Alcorn Institute a lot on the show, especially when we've had recently Brandon Sheard mm-hmm. back on the show. And, and the Alcorn Institute is what has provided us the opportunity to have guests like uh, Mr. Sheard on the show because you guys were the ones that brought him in. The diocese did, Correct, I guess, yeah. but, but through the Institute, the Alcorn Institute. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he's, he's unique. Uh, yes. And... Uh, you know, that component of what we do is rather unique as well. So, you know, we provide, you know, the kind of formation that you would expect that these kind of intellectual institutes provide. So we provide the, you know, simple explanations of the faith. Um, but we also focus on trying to form the imagination as well as the intellect and the will, which is, yeah, unique. A lot of institutes kind of fail. A lot of um, educational endeavors kind of miss that essential component. How do we form the imagination? And much of that emphasis was really informed by kind of a deep reading of the tradition, looking at how uh, the great schools in the past kind of formed people, Mm -hmm. and uh, really emphasizing if we want Christ to be present both in our intellects and our hearts, he must first be present in our imagination. So how how do we get Christ in our imaginations in order for us to think deeply, to pray deeply, and to act uh, profoundly in our culture? And this is a long play game. This right. is what I love about this is what yeah. I love about uh, the vision of our bishop, Bishop David Condola. He knows that starting the Alcon Institute is not going to be something that we're going to see instant results from, quote unquote. This is a long play game. Building up the domestic church, building up the Catholic culture, mm-hmm. isn't something that you do overnight. It's not a faucet if you on on an off switch. Um, it's something that takes time and really generations. You know. That's right. Yeah. And that's and that's the wisdom of I, I agree with our bishop um, mm-hmm. and bring the Elkwood Institute here, kind of giving us that, that that leeway to kind of slowly build up that culture because it does mm-hmm. take time, right? Yeah. yeah, one of my favorite things is that you're not just trying to fill the people, you know, the the teachers, the catechists with head knowledge, but you're really focusing on human mm-hmm. uh, development, not just intellectual. Humanities, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. Uh, John Senior esque, and yeah, one of the ways that you guys do that is with a, an authentic counter with reality, 
an encounter with reality, which I think is a funny term, you know, when you first hear it. But then if you think about it, so much of our lives is not is in encountering something else, you know, in whether it's the digital world or whatever else, uh, it just consumes so much. I know it takes up a lot of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we do have to almost on purpose have these encounters with reality. It kind of shows you how impoverished. Hey, well, life, will you, will you turn our mics up, ways. please? That would be great. Yeah, there's um, a wonderful Canadian ph- uh, philosopher by the name of Taylor, and um, he emphasized that we are living in a culture which is dominated by artificiality. Mm-hmm. And that's an impediment. It's an impediment to learning, but it's also an impediment to the appropriation of the faith. And so how can we move beyond that artificiality? And I think we're going to get into this with the Regensburg lecture yeah. later on as well. Yeah. Sure. Okay, but before we do that, there are two stories that I've been holding out on this show when I heard it from you. When you first came in, you, you were kind enough to have us out to your house, and you were talking about, you know, who is Dr. Malash, and like, what are you, you know, what's going on, and you were in your vocation story. Mm. And the first one I would like you to tell, if possible, is the Carthusian story, if you will. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, how did you end up? Okay, how did you end up at a Carthusian? Mon, is it a monastery? It is. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Well, yeah, it's interesting. So you know, as a young, I grew up in Canada. Mm-hmm. A. Uh, born and raised, and uh, grew up in a good, strong Catholic family. And uh, you know, as every good young Catholic man, discerned a vocation to religious life and to the priesthood. And so, obviously, I grew up in a, a parochial school, and we had our parish priest, and I was very blessed and very fortunate to have good, solid priests in this little, small, rural community. And uh, just noticing that that example of those secular priests, I thought, okay, you know, that sounds like a good way forward. Maybe I'm called to the secular priesthood, uh, the Austin priesthood. And so, I spent some time discerning that vocation and uh, went up to St. Peter Seminary in London, Ontario. I uh, was very fortunate to study under some really good teachers, some good Thomists, and, uh, but quickly discerned that I wasn't called to diocesan priesthood. So I figured, oh, I must be called to religious. I was a young man at that time and somewhat uh, um, athletic, enjoyed uh, playing sports. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I figured, oh, I could maybe work with the young. And so I kind of looked around to see what religious orders were very prominent working with the youth. And the Salesians, obviously, came to mind. And so I spent time discerning obviously. a, a religious I mean, sure. vocation to yeah. the Salesians of Don right. Bosco up in yeah. New York. Uh, great experience there, but discerned quickly as well that I wasn't called to um, active religious um, ministry and voc- uh, active religious vocation. So, hence, I discerned it must be called to contemplative life. And I've, I've always been someone kind of uh, drawn to extremes. And uh, <laughs> so, I figured, oh, well, maybe the Carthusians, um, you know, and they're a radical order um, in the tradition. You know, they're, they're basically hermits who live in community. And they only have one house. Which is funny. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's funny to experience that as well. And uh, so I wrote them and said, you know, I would love to come and take a look. And they said, sure, come on up. And so there's only one house in Vermont in the mountains. And so spent some time with the, with the Carthusians up there. And it was just a, a grand experience in many ways. And, uh, but realized very quickly that I wasn't called to contemplative solitude. Uh, I remember just sitting in my cell. They have cells up there and mm-hmm. you're com- completely isolated and you have a little garden that you can go walk around and pace back and forth. And But it's just, you're just in a cell uh, <laughs> right. your entire life. And they have a little trap door that can it's open lovely it up. pacing and, today, brother. <laughs> <laughs> slide food in and out uh, of, of, the, of the door. And um, I was in my cell and I just was irritated beyond belief because of the the flapping of hummingbirds and how irritating this noise was. It was just so loud and so bothersome. Uh, but I remember just I remember the first week I was getting I had I had to get out of there. It was just I had enough. But I spent the whole my whole retreat there, and it was a great great experience. But realized quickly that yeah no. Okay, but one of the times that you were there was one of the days of the year that they had a chance oh, yeah. to talk. Right? <laughs> correct. Is that yeah. correct? Correct. Yeah. So they have. Um, a day in which they're able to converse with their brothers, and they go on this huge, long hike in the mountains. And they and so I was very fortunate to be able to go on this trip. And so we all jumped in the back of a truck as we're kind of driving up the mountain to go on our hike. And um, this is the only time that they're able to speak with one another. Once uh, a year. Once a year. And 
So I know I was expecting a very profound conversation. What what are they going to say to each other? You know, been I was just, stewing over this for 364 days. That's like, right. And so I was, this I thought this was going to be very, very profound meditations or or whatnot um, coming from the mouth of these very holy holy men. And I just remembered uh, laughing internally because the first thing that one monk said to the other is, I can't believe brother so-and-so thinks butter is a spice. <laughs> so even stewing on this whole time, right? They're, they're worried about food, you know, and uh, how terrible their food was, uh, which is very human. Yeah, it's like, you just picture thinking about that for a year. I mean, this is the first thing he says. That's right, yeah. You know, it's not um, like, hey, how was the last year for you guys? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, yeah. It's like... I gotta, I, I've been holding on to this for so long. I have to get this off my chest. He thinks butter is a spice. <laughs> so it was, it was a great time. But I quickly discerned um, at my at that retreat that, no, I was called to the marriage. Where life. do you stand on the butter, spice? Uh, oh, I believe fully that butter is a spice. Yeah. Do you? Oh, my goodness. I love butter. Okay. I did uh, not expect th- this that. This is something though. that we'll have to talk about over the break because I'll be interested on on than what the definition of a spice see, is. See, mm-hmm. I think that butter transcends spiciness. I think it goes beyond... I think to call it a spice is to do an injustice to butter. Yeah, perhaps I spoke too quickly. Yeah, you may be right. It's more foundational to cooking. Yes. yes. Right? It's, it's the, the foundation of all good cuisine. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, the pig lard was the foundation of all cooking, yeah. growing... Now, like, my wife would be upset about that. Being an Italian, she would argue that olive oil ought to be that foundation, but... That's my French-Canadian roots coming out. Yeah. Okay, and so when we get back, this bleeds into the other story that I want you to tell, which is your vocation to marriage, what happened, how did you talk to your wife. I'd love to. And uh, ask her to marry you. Excellent. So we're here with Dr. Malash from the Alcon Institute here in the Diocese of Tulsa in eastern Oklahoma. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan and Dr. Richard Malosh. Transplant, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. from Canada. Correct. Does anyone ever? Does, nobody says that. No right? one. Yeah, that's that's dumb. Canuck. 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 Yeah. Often. Yeah. What is that? Someone from Canada. You so one is a Canuck. Correct. Yeah. But you're not from Canuck. No. That's right. An oaky sounds way cooler than that. I it just does. Gotta, I got to tell you. I don't like French. <laughs> what about butter? You like butter, though. I like French cuisine. Yeah. So I like things about... I like some French things. This, this segment I is... Don't, I don't like the language French. Oh, no. This segment is brought to you by The Catholic Woodworker. Go to thecatholicwoodworker.com. Use promo code TCMS for 10% off all purchases. High quality home altars, crucifixes, rosaries. If you're looking for something to get your husband or your wife for Christmas, go to the Catholic Woodworker. Jonathan is a guy who is running this thing like on the side. This is his side gig, and he's he's doing it for the love of spreading the rosary to all people. He has a strong devotion to our mother, uh, and he's a he's a supporter of ours in hopes that you'd be a supporter of his. So catholicwoodworker.com now uh we did not also i do want to get into your vocation story a continue continuation but we did not talk about the drink which is i think important to do yeah and it's it's unique we're men of tradition and this is a tradition of the show so we should talk about briefly the uh the drink this evening the drink we're having it's called Midnight Ritual. It's an American malt whiskey, which is interesting that we've been on an American whiskey kick yeah. uh, over the last few episodes. It's 44.5% uh, alcohol, ABV, uh, but it is a combination. So it's, it's, it's by Founders Distillery, which the fa- or Foundry Dis- Distilling, which is the guy who started uh, Templeton Rye, if you uh, are familiar with that whiskey, but he is collaborating with Boulevard Brewing Company. Mm. So Boulevard Brewing sends up their uh, mash up to uh, Foundry, and they use that mash to distill whiskey. And so this is a very interesting because you can yeah. definitely taste the wheat. The, the It's almost like a wheated whiskey, 
uh, you have to say it right. Wheated. Wheated. Wheated whiskey. Wheated. It, it. I mean, you can taste the. It has. It's very interesting because it's a very. It's. It's like a hybrid of. You can almost have a. You have a little bit of that Boulevard wheat taste. Mm-hmm. Can you? Does that? Do you? Do you taste a little bit of that? Yeah, doctor? I do. Yeah, and it's uh, very smooth. Mm-hmm. It is. It is very. Yeah, there's no yeah. bite at all. Easy it. drinking. Yeah, and that's kind of surprising because Templeton Rye sometimes as as a rye whiskey you have a little bit of more of a bite. So, but this isn't a rye. No, it's not. But you know, the founder started Templeton sure, Rye, so sure. you kind of uh-huh. would would it that would envision. be his, his genre, right? But uh, it's it's very good. It's very uh, affordable. I think it's about forty bucks for a bottle. It's not so it's not yeah. going to break the bank. How many, how old is it? Is there an age statement? There is not an age statement. I don't believe. Uh, but oh, uh, aged it's aged twenty four months. It, so it, it's aged two years. Uh, in the the, bur- the barrels that they put in Foundry. Okay. From Fou- it's, Foundry it's interesting story. that you we have this today because I had never heard of anybody doing this, making whiskey this way, until like two weeks ago. My brother-in-law brought me one. It was a, uh, a whiskey from um, Belgium. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they're taking their Belgium wheat beer that they make and doing this exact same thing yeah they're getting very exper- experimental with this whiskey but it's it's made out of in, in yeah. iowa so all of our iowa listeners shout out to you guys you can go pick up uh, midnight ritual by foundry it's collaboration with foundry and boulevard wheat my grandma was from iowa nice morning sun iowa doesn't that sound like a nice place pleasant yeah yes it does very small town uh also let's get into this really quick uh, before we get into his vocation story, sorry guys, we have a lot to cover uh, in a short amount of time. But um, Dr. Christine Myers, who was on our show not too long ago talking about the feminine genius, uh, gifted us and gifted you guys with this beautiful painting. Recently, we had a, a call to action to all men. Um, the Diocese of Tulsa asked us to ask men to get up in the middle of the night to pray for the success of the pro-life movement, specifically um, for uh, during the 40 Days for Life. Because of the COVID uh, virus and everything, we weren't able to have a perpetual prayer throughout the whole, uh, throughout the whole 40, 40 Days for Life at the location here in the diocese. So uh, we asked you men to, to join us in prayer in the midnight hours, and you guys stepped up. I think we only missed... Uh, Eight, somewhere between seven and nine hours, if I if I if I'm correct in that, because you guys, you it was guys, well covered. You guys, well covered. Uh, stepped up, and so I'm very grateful. We had guys even from Scotland um, stepping up for us, which was very nice, very kind. And I mean, we had we had men from the council, uh, Council of Man, Patreon.com/slash The Catholic Man Show, uh, who stepped yeah. up. Could and be, so anyway, become a Patreon member. Uh, we're very grateful. Patreon. Um, Talk about and I even had a, a couple guys reach out to me and said that they woke up their sons mm. to join them in prayer in a midnight hour, which I think is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. For talk about setting the example as your as a dad of um, the importance of prayer, especially when it comes to defending the life of the innocent. Uh, that is uh, beautiful. In my, I mean, it's just beautiful. Yeah, so, that's great. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you to Dr. Myers for 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 getting us that picture. That was awfully kind. Um, we'll yeah, thank you. We'll be uh, sharing that with all you guys. So, but okay. So, Dr. Malash, we're going to get into a topic very soon. But I want to ask. So you, you you discerned out of religious life. You you decided no, religious life is not for me. I'm I'm obviously called for marriage. Was marriage. the Carthusian was the Carthusians the last place you went? Yes. You said okay. And you you, you exhausted. You everything. even went to Clear Creek, didn't you? No, not not to discern. Okay, you didn't. No, no. Um, but surely you went to the Benedictines somewhere. I didn't. No. What? Well, I know. It's surprising. Because yeah. I have such a love for the Benedictines. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I did not. It's probably very providential that I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. So so you decide I'm called to the married 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 life. Correct. Yeah. How? Okay. Talk us through calling what would be your wife at that point. The, the next the series next, of yeah, moves that you made, because <laughs> it is fascinating. I fear that you gentlemen are trying to get me in trouble. No, 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 no. I would no never trouble. do that. No, no. Uh, yeah, no. Was, um, so I'm in the in the monastery at the Charter House in, in Vermont, the Carthusians, and um, you know, obviously discerning and, and realizing that I must be called to the married life. You know, I've kind of canceled out all other religious kind of vocations. Um, a secular priesthood, active religious, contemplative religious, 
must be called to the married life. And so at that moment, towards the end of my retreat, I began to consider, all right, Lord, um, if I'm called to the married life, whom shall I marry? Who's the most beautiful woman I know? That's right. And yeah. uh, as, I was, as I was pondering this, I knew this beautiful and charming and sweet and intelligent and uh, just this wonderful uh, young lady that I went to high school with. Opposites attract, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well said, David. Thank you. Uh, very much so. Very much so. And and we are opposites in many, 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 many ways. And uh, so I figured I must be called to marry this this woman who is subsequently my, my bride. And um, You know what? This is great because I think every man can relate to this feeling like you think they think of the most beautiful woman that they know and it's like, I must be called to marry her. <laughs> <laughs> but in my case, it was true. Right. Uh, yeah. But I mean, then they realize maybe for most of those men, I think they later realize she's not the most beautiful woman that I know, you know, <laughs> because most of the time it doesn't work out. But in your case, okay, carry so on. Where, where carry on. on. So, yeah. So at that point, um, we, we maintained a friendship. She was um, a, a classmate with my younger sister. And uh, so when I would go back, you know, we would see each other on occasion and, and whatnot. And uh, so I figured I must be called to marry her uh, through my discernment. And so when I got out of the monastery, the first thing I did, I got onto a bus and, and uh, went back up into my native homeland, Canada, and found a payphone and, and called her. I think it was a payphone. Maybe I, maybe I emailed her. Anyways, I, I got in contact with her. And she was over in Rome at this time teaching ESL um, to um, Italians. And so I emailed her, phoned her, and said, I think God is calling me to marry you. And of course, you know, what is she to do? But she gets on the next plane and comes back home, um, and we start courting and subsequently got married. So now she tells a much different story. But uh, this one's, I mean, we don't let truth get in the way of a good story. That's right. That's correct. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, and so you just had a, an, an, another child. Correct. Yeah. So we had our seventh child. Uh, so we have two girls and, and four boys. So. Congratulations. Yeah. That's only six, just so Excuse you know. Excuse me. Five boys, two <laughs> girls. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Quick with the math. Yeah, good. I've got the single digits down pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> so you said, yeah, Noah Constantine. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, so it's, it's awesome. It's, there's, there's wonderful rationale why God gives young children to younger couples. Um, I'm realizing that now. I mean, I used to be able to go on six hours sleep. No problem. Mm-hmm. Five, ten years ago. Now it's it's difficult. <laughs> yeah, it's still difficult for me. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is still difficult. I I do it, and it's it is difficult yeah. now. It is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It gets more difficult. There's a lot of self-loathing at the beginning of the day when you oh. when one wakes up after five hours. Um. So we're going to talk about the incarnation uh, this evening. I think that it's apropos to mm-hmm. do so. Being uh, we're entering into the season of Advent after uh, Christ the King Sunday. And why, you know, that we're, talk, we're going to talk about the incarnation, why the Lord came at the time that he did. You know, a lot of times I think uh, I've heard from other atheists or agnostics saying like, well, if, if, you know, if God, he, he could just come anytime. Why, why would he go? Why would he come at the time that he did? Why not now when there's so many more people? And, or, yeah, or did he not love everyone who came before him? Right. You know? I mean, there's yeah. a lot of uh, questions that happen with with the series of when did the incarnation happen so mm-hmm. what is the importance of that uh, why did it become what was happening during that time and uh how we can better prepare for advent i think would be a good way to sum up at the very end excellent all right we'll be right back we're on the lord's team the winning side so raise your glass Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. Here with Dr. Malosh, president of the Alcuin Institute. Check out the Alcuin Institute. You're in the process of, of about to starting start a podcast. If you um, yeah, we're contemplating getting into that. Thinking yeah. about it, um, and you have a blog that you go and very contemplative in, institute. In, in, <laughs> Instagram. You can go to alcuininstitute.org. 
and check out what they are, are doing. If you're not in the Tulsa Diocese, you will still receive benefit from doing so. So alquininstitute.org. I just got to tell you this. One beef I have with the Alquin Institute. Yeah, sure. Last year, fake Christmas tree in the uh, in the lobby there. I know it's like other people. It's not just the Alquin Institute building, right? But there was a fake Christmas tree, and that's just, uh, I don't know. It doesn't jive. Unfitting. I don't, it's, un, it's unfitting. <laughs> See, I want you to like, do we, your best. Do your best. <laughs> have no no fake Christmas tree this year. I know it's like that might I be an uphill battle you, for you. If you hew a tree and bring it in, they'll have to use it. All right, it's on you, Dave. <laughs> any, Way any, to go. Any tree? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so we're talking about the incarnation. Uh, we're going to talk about like the thing that matters the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, the incarnation, our Lord. What Thomas calls the most marvelous. The most marvelous. Yeah, because the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Mm-hmm. Which is the incar- incarnation. Yeah. The, the Lord coming down yeah. and, and becoming man. So uh, maybe give a little bit of background into why why the Lord came. At the, so there's like three things that are happening in this time that's converging all at once. Um, that That is going on in the political, social, economic, uh, what, even the... The studio, the, the academic, uh, all all coming in together and and, and colliding mm-hmm. um, right when the, our Lord came. So maybe give us a background in this. Yeah. Um, now I'm not a historian by any means, so I'm a systematic theologian. So you know I like to look at the larger kind of sapiential picture as opposed to the historical picture. No, I, don't, I don't know what that means. Sapiential. Uh, the wisdom, the big picture. Okay. Looking at causes. Gotcha. As opposed to effects. We'll re- recapitulate this later and, and just edit that out. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. And um, so, yeah, what, what you have then... I know what recapitulate means. <laughs> <laughs> what you have is you have, of course, the Jewish faith, mm-hmm. right? So this mm-hmm. rich biblical faith. Um, in addition to, obviously, you know, supernatural faith of, of the Jewish people, but also their moral, moral codes. So mm-hmm. rightful living, living as well, in addition to... Um, but then also you have the background of a Hellenic worldview, um, Hellenic philosophy, Greek philosophy. Um, we can get into that specifically, um, Aristotelian philosophy, um, and the importance of that mm-hmm. in regards to the incarnation. And um, politically, you have the Roman Pax, the Roman peace, the Roman order, um, both culturally and civically. And I think it's these three that come together that is most fitting for the incarnation, um, which allows for uh, the truth of uh, the life and the and the mission of Christ to take root and, and to flourish. Okay, so you want maybe we we'll start with uh, the, the philosophy aspect because when when Juan brought this, so Juan brought the subject up. He's really stepping up. Shout out to Juan. Thank you, Juan. Uh, when he when he brought this up and he was talking about how the Greek philosophy was. Uh, Penetrating into the social dynamic, I guess, of, mm-hmm. of of the world, I was a little confused by that because I had thought that that wasn't the, especially the Aristotelian philosophy wasn't well received during that time because I thought that's what you know Aquinas was was merging the this pagan idea of Aristotelian thought and, and drawing from him and and bringing it into the church mm-hmm. to combine. Uh, you know, to, to to take what was good and make it part of the truth. You know, it was the truth, so he, he brought it in. So when that when 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 you, that was said, I was a little confused by that because um, I thought that that wasn't part of uh, up until like I thought that's what made Aquinas kind of like what he like he did somewhat spe- you know special. Yeah, that's that's fake news, right? Uh, okay, <laughs> I mean, see, it's good to know. Yeah, I I mean. I'm anyways, uneducated. That's, so. a, that's a false narrative, and it's a very popular false narrative. Okay. Um, and this is, you know, Juan, once again, kind of leading us off here, pointing to the Regenberg Lecture. Now, Juan's going to want to get paid soon. It's yeah. Ridiculous. Like, I mean, it's great insight um, insofar as it is the, the Regensburg Lecture and, and uh, Pope Benedict's kind of articulation of the de-Hellenization of Christianity. And he really brilliantly points to that as the root cause of all of our cultural ills, all of them which is a kind of really profound statement. I think it's a truthful statement. But basically what, you've, what, what we, we have adopted is this rejection of Hellenic Greek thought and these Aristotelian principles. Mm-hmm. And so when we look back in history, we're seeing things through this false narrative, this, this anti-Hellenic bias 
that is perverting our understanding of what the incarnation was truly about. So hmm. yeah, it's not surprising when you, when you think about it. Oh, I didn't think Greek philosophy and Greek thinking and the Greek worldview has anything to do with Christianity. But according to Benedict, it has everything, everything to do. Everything to do. With well, but and, and you see, so it didn't have anything to do with Judaism, but it did have everything to do with Christianity, which is kind of a you know you could really draw an uninterrupted line between Judaism and Christianity. It's you know we could talk about the Jewish the Jewish faith and the Christian faith, or we could just simply say the faith. There's pre-Christian revelation and post-Christian revelation, you know. So it's just interesting that this was a, almost like a, an incarnation of thought mm-hmm. that came and accompanied Christ's incarnation into the world. Yeah, it's almost um, um, a precursor, right? Mm. It was a, a John the Baptist. A, a necessary foundation mm-hmm. for the message of Jesus Christ. So you had the biblical faith, you had the moral uh, principles that were motivating Jewish living, but then you had this uh, uh, inf- uh, the influence of Greek thinking and how that allowed Christianity to flourish. Because all of a sudden, Christianity is not simply blind faith, but rather we can use our native faculties of knowing to understand more profoundly not only the Jewish faith, but also the revelation, the fullness of revelation that Jesus Christ mm-hmm. provided. So what is it about the Greek culture that allowed them to flourish so well in, in this? I mean, is it, can you just think better on an island? Or, like, what, what made them good at... Was there, was there one thing that, that you're aware of that helped them cultivate the philosophical aspect? Well, the, the church points to um, three principles, really, of Hellenic thought. Now, this is not clear in the Regensburg Lecture, but it can be teased out in subsequent uh, magisterial teachings. But basically, you have three fundamental principles that the Church, from this Hellenic tradition, adopts um, wholesale um, and builds upon. So those are a really robust realism, that the real is really real. Hashtag Alquin Institute. Exactly. Um, And John Sr. and... um, many other profound thinkers um, you know everything that we say is is nothing new right this is this is the tradition mm-hmm. um, and so that's the, the first foundation right it's it's that contrary to idealism where things originate in the mind no things originate because they are being is the font of all knowledge and understanding so that's a, a foundational principle of all Aristotelian Greek thinking um, in addition to that they looked upon the human person and, and, and realized that the human person had these passive capacities, these pre-rational um, capacities to receive being, i.e. the senses mm-hmm. and the imagination. So we have these passive components by which we can actually receive that which is real. In addition to that, the third principle of this kind of Greek um, philosophical tradition is that we can receive those in our senses through this kind of passive openness to being. But in addition to that, we have another native faculty, i.e. our intellect, intellect. who can abstract the contingent, the finite, from the universal mm-hmm. and can contemplate truth in and of itself. So we have a passive and an, and a, and an active capacity to receive being. So these three Aristotelian or Greek or Hellenic um, philosophical foundations then are eventually adopted by St. Thomas and the, in the tradition at large and become the foundation for our understanding of grace, of revelation, and, and whatnot. And so when this was all happening, like, you know, around, uh, you know, 3 AD, however, BC, whenever that, right before Christ came, uh, was this thought understood? Like, was this a norm in society? Like, how, like, was was this being proposed by scholars at that time or, or how did that it was it was foundational so was, I mean so I mean, I mean it was read, within the culture of the society correct like, uh, yeah. you read Paul right who is a very learned Jewish scholar I have heard of him um, and in addition to that you know grew up in, uh, and was schooled in Hellenic thought um, and that is very evident in his teachings and his writings mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, anyone who was educated um, were influenced and, and informed by these 
Aristotelian principles, these Greek principles, not solely Aristotelian, but right. these Greek foundations. Okay, so you keep uh, mentioning this uh, address. Mm-hmm. What Briefly tell us, what is the... Re- Rennesburg? Regensburg. Regensburg. Yeah, the Regenler- Regensburg lecture was... Um, Reg- Regensburg. Ad- correct, yeah. yeah. Um, was an address given by Benedict the Sixteenth, 2006. Um, it was given at his alma mater, the University of Regensburg. Mm-hmm. So he's going back. He was invited back to give this um, academic talk. They had something called the Academic Days, in which the all the schools would come together and you would have various scholars actually have a dialogue and uh, present it to the entire population of the of the universities, both professors and students. And he gave this talk at that time, and he addresses this fundamental problem, namely the dehellenization of Christianity. And he really called for um, the disclosure of this truncating of reason in a call to rediscover the breath of human reason. All right. Nice. So we got, we got one leg of the tripod. We'll, we'll get the other two on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan. I'm Dr. Milosh. We also have Juan Posada and Jim Spencer in the house. Thanks, guys. All right, we're talking about Jesus, the guy you may have heard of. We try to talk about him every episode. And his birthday. And and why his birthday was on that day. Yes. And so we've discussed the uh, the Greek capacity, kind of the Jewish capacity, and we want to discuss the Roman capacity. Yeah, so that's the, the, the third, third leg. The, the third leg. Yeah, sure. Uh, which is really quite interesting. Um, so you had the flourishing of the greatest kind of civic, um, national, cultural entity, right? The, the Roman Republic, um, which was known for order. Right? Mm-hmm. This is this is their hallmark of their of their dynasty, and it would seem then, in regards to the incarnation, that it is that order, that pox, that peace, which allowed for um, the ultimate good of Christianity, which is using our intellects um, via these these native powers to investigate and to explore uh, divine revelation. Jesus Christ. And so mm-hmm. o- it's, it's almost like the Roman order, the Roman peace is the preamble, which allows for the Jewish faith and the Christian, uh, excuse me, the Jewish faith and the, and the Greek philosophy to meet um, in that great merger between those, those two fonts of knowledge, divine revelation and, and, and native human intellect. Because the Romans would let you retain your religion for the most part when they conquered you. Is mm-hmm. that, yeah, Correct, I mean, yeah. which is kind of a, a unique characteristic among conquerors. That's right, yeah. But specifically, it's that, it's that peace, right? And a lot of times we think, well, what constitutes peace? Oftentimes we think of, you know, peace is something internal, which it is, um, but ultimately, peace is a result of order. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. understanding that order and living in accordance with that order. And when there is that order, there is peace. We know this as, as husbands and fathers, right? When we have peace in the household, well, meaning is that we have actual order, order in the house. Mm-hmm. You have the father, you have the mother, you have the children, obedience to the parents, and when that is in play, you have peace. Now, it may be rare, but when it does happen, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It, yeah, it is yeah. just a slice of it's heaven. It's like a great 10 minutes. But when you do have that... <laughs> <laughs> in every, like, three years, it's a great 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but, but when you have that order, you are now free. Only then are you able to contemplate. You're able to use your intellect to explore what has been divinely revealed. Mm-hmm. Um, but and this is true both um, extrinsically but also intrinsically. Right? When there's order in the human person, only then can you have right. contemplation. Yeah, because yeah. contemplation takes more than just you know, structure. It has to be rightly structured so that the, who man is, his outward life is in accord with his inward. You know, like... Mm-hmm. If if man is living outwardly in a way that is not in accord with who he is really, 
then that contemplation will be it'll it'll be dysfunctional and almost impossible yeah especially if you're living a morally vicious life mm-hmm. right if all if your libido in your belly is constantly rebelling rebelling against your your intellect it's impossible to to think right even if you're raised and firmly believe that the life you live is is uh, solidly moral I mean, a person, you know, it's not that, oh, well, your conscience is getting in the way of your contemplation. That's, that's not it. You could believe very firmly that I live the right way and mm-hmm. that my life is good. Um, but that doesn't mean that it is. And that, that still would prevent, because for exactly what you said, you would be either ruled by your appetites mm-hmm. or, you know, if you're not living in accordance with reality, then something else is going to be governing you mm-hmm. which would there thwart um that capability that freedom to contemplate mm-hmm. yeah exactly so again you have these three that are coming together which is um the perfect trifecta right mm-hmm. which allows the christian faith to flourish so one thing that i've heard uh, is a uh, an argument or something levied against the incarnation happening at the time that it did is that well what about all the people before Christ? You know, did God just not love them or something? You know, that they didn't get to be saved, you know, whatever. Um, and I never really knew what to say. It's like, well, I don't know. Like, I, I just don't know. You know, ask God. Um, but Ask God. <laughs> one, thing, one thing that I, I have been told is that actually, immediately after the incarnation, there is an explosion in, in pop, uh, population worldwide and so that he actually came that the population after the incarnation versus the population Mm -hmm. beforehand is drastically different and so he did come Hmm. i didn't know that at you know like at a time when you know he's trying he's not god is not leaving that many people pre-incarnation you know a lot of people still but not on a relative basis yeah i mean i think kind of the artistic tradition can help us understand this a bit um, for example, if you turn to Dante um, in his um, Inferno. Why is he not canonized? <laughs> I think Harrison actually did. Harrison Garlic just... He did. He did. He didn't just, he tweet he, that? He tweeted that today. And he's is that get, right? He's, first of all, I want to say that I did not... I do not think that Greece is an island, but Greece has a lot of islands on it, okay? He's giving me, giving me flack on Facebook. Okay, you did say that. <laughs> I said that I know it's not an island. Okay. That's funny. It's a good clarification. Anyway, Harrison's, I'm sorry. I, Harrison's I'm sorry. also an underrated uh, person on Twitter. You can follow him. Yeah, as go well. follow. Go follow Harrison Garlic on Twitter, and then try to convince him that Greece does have islands. He needs to know this. <laughs> okay. And um, so what Dante interestingly does is, you know, if you read um, the Inferno, he has Aristotle. Um, enjoy, he, he's 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 in hell, uh, but he's in the the lowest rung of hell and he's enjoying a natural beatitude in hell in hell okay that's interesting yeah um it's almost the the antechamber to hell um and so he's he's enjoying this this great human flourishing almost like a limbo yeah kind of sort of okay. um the point being is that the incarnation in regards to you know the both the passive and the active that we we're talking about right the the passive Reception, the capacity to receive being, and then the active capacity of our intellects to actually engage reality and to, and to um, divide and to separate and to contemplate truth in and of itself. The incarnation reveals the glory and the dignity of those capacities. And so, even subsequently, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the incarnation is relevatory to those who've come before because it reveals the greatness of a natural or native um, humanity, even post-fall. Is it possible that in the story, Aristotle is in the bosom of Abraham? Because the bosom of Abraham, it's not heaven. Mm -hmm. Are you getting into speculative theology with a systematic (laughs) theologian? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is like not his. Okay, no. Okay, so so let's go back. So <laughs> Adam, I, I, I'm like, pulling us I'll back. Save you. I'll, I'll save you. I'll save you. Let me. Let, 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 you. Let, you let me can call me your savior. Yeah. Let me, let me. Let me. Let's pull us back. So so our, our Lord is coming at this time. Advent is now approaching. 
what is what are some good ways like what would you do as as a family man to reflect upon these times in you know as advent uh, approaches on the incarnation yeah i mean in specifically in reference to what we've been discussing right so um we have we have the jewish faith you know and that biblical faith and we have our our reason so there is a sense and then we have the the order the roman the roman peace and Mm -hmm. If it's true that the incarnation happened at that time, and that is the most fertile soil in which the incarnation can take root in the flourish, I think it's appropriate to reflect upon, well, what does that mean for the individual soul, right? I mean, is the soul been properly tilled through both, you know, the practice of these these natural virtues, this biblical faith, um, also having the proper ordering, also having these, this foundation of philosophical thought, this philosophical speculation, this philosophical questioning. Have we, have we cultivated both the philosophical and the moral and the, and the, um, the order, the natural civic order, um, which will allow the truths of the gospel, the incarnation, to occur in our own being? I think that's a, that's a good question. It's a great question. Mm, what is the answer? Well, what, yeah, what can we do? Can uh, have we have we? Thank you for asking the question <laughs> that I was supposed to ask you, but you articulated it better. Now, take that question and I regurgitate that's a that. Good, <laughs> that's a good trick to ask me a better version of the question I asked you. I don't know. I asked you first. <laughs> well, these are things that we can do, right? So we can we can or, we can cultivate order, right? Both uh, by cultivating the moral virtues in the person, mm-hmm. but also having proper order. Um, in our families, yeah. Okay, so order, ordering with, which, what? Ordering what? Our families. Which our fam- families with the, starts with the husband, head of house, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, and then having that proper ordering uh, between the spouses and the children. Um, proper ordering within the larger parish community also very important. This all facilitates contemplation, which is the, the beatitude, human happiness. Um, so making that sure that foundation is in place, because you cannot contemplate without having that peace. So trying to cultivate that peace both by cultivating moral virtue and then also having peace within the household, something that within our purview that we can do. So I'm hearing you say examination of conscience, confession, and... Ordering your home. Ordering your home. Sure, yeah. Those are important steps. Yeah. But then again, to not regulate the faith, to blind faith, begin, begin to cultivate the life of the mind... To exercise philosophical reasoning yes. in exploring the rich and glorious tradition of the Catholic faith. Which is very important. Dr. Malash, we'll continue just a little bit more on the other side. This is the last segment, but you can check, check us out on YouTube for the extended version of this show. Mucho. I'm very grateful for your time and your uh, wisdom. You can go to thealquininstitute.org for more information on what Dr. Malash is doing. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers to Jesus. Yes. So, uh, because I really did want to actually bring in uh, the understanding of like uh, the virtue of studiousness mm-hmm. and making sure to push ourselves intellectually. I think it's very hard for an everyday guy who is going through the grind of work, yeah. coming home, uh, you, uh, you know, spending time with your your wife and your children, getting them down for bed, you know, spending time with your wife alone, and then like, you know, when am I supposed to have this time to read Aristotle or have the mental bandwidth, the mental capacity to even dive into the intellectual side of um, our faith and reality, I guess. Like, it's very hard. Like, I know I struggle with it, and I I want it. You know, I yearn for it, but I still struggle with it because by the time I have the time, I'm I'm 
I'm drained. There's a wonderful quote by um, Frank Sheed. Mm, oh yeah, theology yeah. sanity. Yeah, I mean he, every theology for every beginner. other sentence uh, theology is a for quotable, yeah. quotable yeah. line. But he says that thinking is difficult and we are lazy. And that kind of sum, summarizes it. Yeah, I mean if we prioritize on this show, we just say words are hard. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually a quote that we have, and we may end up trademarking that. Words are hard. <laughs> Word, words are hard. Yeah, they are. Uh, but thinking is even harder than words. Do you think in other things? Can a man who has received no language yes. think? I mean, like, yeah. he can still... I think so. Be hard. Well, I mean, even, even look at infused wisdom. You couldn't... You. It seems like you'd have fewer thoughts anyway. So, well, you could say you can have a few infused wisdom. Sure. Um, which... Also, I'm just assuming a man who has received no language also hasn't been baptized, just so you know. Mm -hmm. He could still have infused wisdom, but... Yeah. But, I mean, so the the phantasms are informed by divine revelation itself, as opposed to intellectual rigor. Okay, so what do you... What would you suggest as a... You've been a professor for a long time. You, 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 You get to have the luxury of pushing your intellect on a day-to-day basis in, insofar as having intellectual conversations, uh, being able to read, uh, you know, some of the great minds of the church. Mm-hmm. A lot of the guys out there, including myself, don't have that luxury. I'm, I'm trying to convince uh, guy, guy X over here that, uh, that reality is reality, much less the idea of, you yeah. know, okay, I mean, concepts of... Modern, modern example is that Recently on Twitter is this big thing about how some dude who dresses in I don't remember who the guy was, but he dress he, he wears dresses and how masculine he is. And oh, there was sure, this yeah. like Vanity Fair. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. so. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm referring to. And so the th- the thing is that these people who think that a man wearing a dress is masculine cannot they refuse to say what is a man and what is a woman. Because they they don't know they they can't tell you. They're so removed from. I mean, it's like this is. I don't know what is more basic than a the understanding of this is a man, mm-hmm. this is a woman. Yeah, you know. This is, so this, this is something that people like us, uh, like, people uh, uh, that live in the secular world that don't have the, this opportunity to. Yeah, to I mean, you, that we we combat every day. So like we're starting on like some. And the temptation, you walk into a, you the temptation walk into, and maybe maybe it's the right thing to do, is just to write them off and say, like, mm-hmm. you're, you're like, hopeless. Like, I don't know. You know, you walk into a kindergarten classroom and every single one of them can say which one's a boy and which one's a girl. Yet, I'm walking into work at times yeah, and having... Like, but Elijah Wood can't. He doesn't I, know the difference. I, I, I don't, you know. And so, like, as a, I, like, what advice do you have for the men out there who, who don't have that luxury... But want, still want to, but man, it's just like there's this heavy burden about all this other stuff that they have on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. How do how do we do that? Like, yeah, no, it's a, it's a huge problem, and uh, again, it, it comes down to um, Taylor, right? The artificiality, kind of bring it back to where we started. Mm-hmm. And um, if we need to, in, I think we need to engage with the real. Yes. We need to. F- inform the imaginations are you saying to break our cell phones is that what you're saying (laughs) smash our televisions Uh, flush them uh but in many ways the because we haven't experienced the real right we have cell phone would never flush i'll tell you they're too big we can never think right we can never think properly because we don't have the phantasms to draw upon Mm -hmm. and so yeah for for entire generations now who have been um I don't want to say corrupted, but have been prevented from actually experiencing real things, whether that is real relationships, um, real words, real texts, um, real um, images of what it means to be an authentic male, an authentic uh, female. Even real conversations. Real conversations. Yeah, to have this conversation, I would imagine, with you know a millennial is very difficult to do. Because yeah. they even know how to do it. Adam and Knight. I really do think this is what's so attractive. And this is one of the reasons why I said, all right, finally, I'll come on, I'll come on the show, right? <laughs> because in many ways, this is, it, it's, it's an artificiality. 
what we're doing right mm-hmm. for for our wonderful viewers out there right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they don't know what it looks like to sit down and have a drink and have your have a pipe and actually engage in a conversation and so this platform i think is a great good because it's providing an image for them what an authentic conversation really should look like i just want you to know that adam and i are millennials i, I know are we are we technically we are technically millennials mm, that's yeah, unfortunate very much so. it's all right but also we are the like the youngest no the we're the oldest generation of, we're like the first generation that w- grew up with a cell phone in their hand mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i i remember i got my Hold first on. cell phone at 16 but this yeah. is this like a, a define it was a defining moment mm-hmm. the pr- the pre-mobile phone generations and the the post-mobile phone cuz you know here we are talking about this encounter with the real Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like that was a, and still to this day, it's it's technology is this the is the the thing that draws us mm-hmm. away. It's the thing that deprives us of, of silence. It's the thing that brings us into a world that isn't real, mm-hmm. and right. we spend so much time with it. Right. I mean, I try my best, but I'm on my phone a lot. You know, it's addictive, mm-hmm. and I'm addicted to it. I mean, that's just the honest truth. I don't want to be, but the alternatives of not having a, a smartphone are are very severe. I mean, you can, all of a sudden, no texting. I mean, no, that's, like it or not, that is the way the world is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you, you can't, you can't just yeah. run and hide from it. Because okay. so anyway yeah just so, a, a little bit of a sidebar but not uh, not quite yeah mm-hmm. I agree no 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 I agree so I, there's one more thing that I did want to bring up though insofar as the pragmatic way of of worship because we talked about uh, you know the intellectual we talked about uh, but we and we talked about the Jewish tradition and the importance of worship but how how that plays a role into the domestic church like the import like I think that sometimes. In this conversation, we kind of down not down downplayed the the worship aspect, but, but there is that is an important factor in worship. In foundational, uh, it's foundational. It, it absolutely is. And so, and as fathers, it is it is imperative for us to make sure that uh, our children understand what worship is. Not only what worship is, but the importance of it, and and how the virtue of decorum even plays into. Worship. Sure. Uh, I will give you a a quick a quick example of actually your family, which you you probably didn't even know this, but when you, you guys came or you you weren't prepared that I, I was going to say this, but when we had the uh, rosary run uh, th- this year for for the St. Michael Catholic Radio, uh, we had the rosary at the beginning of. Uh, right before mass started, before the event started, we had the rosary. The, we all prayed together, and I looked over, and I saw you and your children kneeling, praying the rosary. Now, this was a regular gathering outdoors, uh, you know, and there was a lot of people praying the rosary. Most of them were seated; a couple of them were standing, but you guys were kneeling. Mm-hmm. It's the importance of the, f- and I'm assuming that they got that understanding that you were the one that was kneeling first. So I. I will do what Dad's doing to, to, to pray. So, like the importance of uh, decorum, even uh, even in our body language and stuff, um, while worshiping, is very important to teach our children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, matter matters. Matter matters. And so, mm. yeah, I had like I just had like a three minute spiel of of talking about this, and he goes. Matter matters. He said two that. words. <laughs> matter matters. I'm, I'm sorry. Again, I'm not articulate no, it's true, enough. Though. And it's but, almost it's almost the same word twice. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> I apologize. But no, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. That um, you know, because of the the composition of the human person, that in regards to worship, you know, we, we fall into two extremes, right? Either we have this super spiritual understanding, and 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 or a very uh, materialistic understanding of the human person. And, of course, both extremes are, are, are erroneous. But the matter, our bodies, can inform the higher. So even if you're not intellectually engaged in the mysteries of the Roshi, for example, when you're praying, 
your body can inform your intellect that I should be paying attention. Why? Because I'm in pain. I'm kneeling. <laughs> I'm yeah. doing something that's uncomfortable. Right. And this reminds the intellect, oh, yeah, that's right. I, 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 I'm, I, I'm in an act of devotion right now. And yeah. I, right. That's and why I we fold be. our hands while we exactly. pray. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So all, this, all these little kind of cues. That's actually why I do, do this the now. Spirit. Because this is much more uncomfortable than this. Mm-hmm. And this brings me back to attention of, oh, yes, I'm supposed to be, be praying. Exactly. This is much more comfortable than this. You think so? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I got that actually from uh, Father John Hollowell. Hmm. Uh, he's the one that told me, like, I find he, he made a very distinct decision to go this route, even when he's praying uh, in Holy Mass, uh, wherever he's praying, he, he, he will, you will not catch him doing this. He he, hmm. he does this. I find them equal in comfort. However, I realized when I waffle style my hands, mm-hmm. I have a tendency not to have my palms together. So just I pray like this instead of like this. And I saw a picture of me doing that once, and I realized it does not look as reverent. And so when I when I pray by myself, I'll still do this just because, I don't know, I find it more natural. But when I pray in front of my children, I do this. Just because I know, I saw a picture, and I said, that looks more reverent than that one. That's mm-hmm. the one I'll do in front of my kids. Yeah. Wonderful. Sorry. I interrupted. I don't, I don't remember what you were saying, but I know it was, sure it, was better than, important. it was better than what I was saying. <laughs> That's all I know. I think... Did, what was it? Did you have... I, I, well, I mean, I was just complimenting oh, him we were, on, uh, yes. on, on kneeling while praying. Yeah, and you, like it reminds me, actually, of... Brandon Sheard, when he was just here, we were talking about slaughtering a sheep. Mm -hmm. And I'm becoming more and more convinced of something that I told him is that I think that God created the sheep just like simply for to be an analogy. Uh, Like so much of the sheep is is analogous to the human person and so much of it is analogous to Christ. But like the fact about how dumb they are, it's like totally us. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, He was explaining how when you kill a sheep, it's so important. It's the way you slaughter it is you know, like one of the most important things, and you want to you want to kill any animal in a, when it's very calm, because otherwise it gets excited, has this adrenaline rush, and all this lactic acid gets released, and some of the, the meat just doesn't taste right. And so he was explaining how with a sheep, if you can control its body, you control its mind, and so if you can simply stop it from running around, because they don't actually freak out. Because you're there, they freak out because they have this reaction where they start running. Mm-hmm. And they find themselves running and running and running. And then they're like, that's when they start to freak out because, hey, I'm running. You know, I must be in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you can control their body, you can control their mind. And I think that the same thing is true for us when we pray. You know, like when we control our bodies, it has a way of controlling our minds. Yeah, um, I know that that's true. For children, you know, like uh, they say, when you're disciplining your children, you should stand up. Because just the physical act of them having to look up at you Mm -hmm. changes like their their brain waves and makes them, uh, they have a different reaction. Whereas if you're on a like eye to eye with them Mm -hmm. when they're being disciplined. I mean, it's just stuff like that, you know, just controlling the body controls the mind yeah and you kind of tying all this back to to liturgy you know elkwin we talked about the uh, he had these various reforms that he was responsible for cultural and um, educational reforms um but he's also even prior to his cultural and educational Bless, you're talking reforms, about blessed alquin correct, of york yeah, exactly okay, not the alquin institute correct but the man who, who but nonetheless we're mirroring Yes. We're trying yes. to mirror everything the man that he did. For whom you are named. Correct. Yes. But even prior to his cultural and educational reforms was liturgical reforms. <clears throat> so he understood that if he was responsible for changing the culture, he had to change the cult. Right? Culture nice. flows downstream from cult, from mm-hmm. worship. Yeah, so that is absolutely essential. If we are really trying to have a reform of, of Christian culture, it has to begin with the liturgy. What so period? being being lackadaisical in liturgy, being lackadaisical in even prayer life, would stem from a bad would would, would make a bad culture. Mm-hmm. Even in the home, 
Correct. Yeah. One of the thing that one of the things that Dr. Tim Gray says in his um, commentary on the Exodus, the Book of Exodus, is that liberation can only come through liturgy. Beautiful. Yeah, he's giving commentary on the Israelites mm-hmm. and the plagues themselves and what they're meant to be. And it's, it's I find that to be true. Liberation can only come through liturgy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of like brings us back to a comment that we made earlier about um, when a peace and how the Romans allowed the people to retain their religion. I think that that alone that was maybe like the wisest decision uh, that they made as far as maintaining peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you hadn't, if they had not done that, rebellion would have been rampant. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, you think about any governing body. If they were, if they allow you to worship and live your life in accordance with the way that you worship, but they're oppressive in other ways, man will still be happy. I think. Yeah. I know that if a government allowed me to be fully Catholic but oppressed me in ways that were ancillary, I would be happy. I believe. The th- the thing about that is that being Catholic <laughs> it encompasses everything. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, you're just triple statement and double statement. I don't, I mean, you're, yeah. you're just saying like, like I was trying to As think, long as they let me do everything, <laughs> I'm, I'd be I'd be great. Right, it's like what would what would those ancillary oppressions be? I'm not sure. Well, what's like really, what's really maybe if they said like everyone must have black hair. <laughs> it's like all right, whatever. Yeah, it's like we'll all have black hair or whatever. Yeah, but what if yeah? What if the state requires you to renounce certain well, elements of your faith? Yeah. See, then then yeah. that's when I like stock up on ammo. Yeah. It's interesting that, um, you know, if it's true that the incarnation occurred at the particular time that it did in the fullness of time, when you had this um, unique mixing of Jewish biblical faith, Roman peace, and the incarnation in Greek philosophy, um, and that principally the the order of of the Roman Imperium allowed for these these Jewish faith and the exercise of the human intellect to actually occur. Then you look back and you look and you apply that then today, which is kind of an interesting kind of speculative exercise. But we see how the lack of civil order is really demonic because it prevents principally the exercising of our intellect, the exercise of virtue, um, which prevents contemplation. Yeah. I do like it. Okay, so the three stools were Roman order, Greek thought. What was the third? Jewish. Biblical, biblical oh, faith. Yeah. Okay, so biblical they're just faith. the Jewish. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. Faith. Okay. Juan, did we cover everything that you wanted us to cover? Maybe. Maybe is a good enough answer for now me. Is, now is Maybe the time. Maybe we'll go part two. Maybe we'll go part two sometime. Maybe we'll speak do part n- two. No, speak now or forever, forever hold your peace. Or we could... Or Will we the could... part two include borscht? In, in, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you like I'm borscht? Game, then. I do, yeah, especially you know, wands. You know, I'm Polish. Do you make borscht? I have one. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. 